Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Just go on to mercurymile.com, set up your preferences and sizes, and then you will receive a curated box of goodies in two to three weeks, and each box is hand-selected for you with a personal stylist. You keep what you love, you send back what you don't, you only pay for the stuff you keep, and it's not a subscription service. You get a box whenever you order one. This winter, I'm wearing almost exclusively Mercury Mile stuff because they send me a ton of good winter gear, except for my Christmas stuff. I do have to say that. I did get some good Christmas stuff this year a couple days ago, and I'm going to be wearing that too. Um, But they have just a load of good stuff. And if you don't like it, what's the harm? You just send it back. So go to rambling. I'm sorry, rambling. Listen to me. Go to mercurymile.com. Enter code ramblingrunner10 at checkout to save $10 on your stylist fee. So today's episode is with Kevin Hopp. Kevin is somebody who has been inspiring me over the course of this entire year. So I'm recording this on New Year's Eve 2018. And I can't think of anybody who embodies the kind of just the, the entire Rambling Runner podcast more than Kevin. He was an active youth. He then in his early twenties into his early thirties you know, basically kind of gave up athletic pursuits, would run every now and then, as you'll hear, but nothing consistent, definitely wasn't an athlete. And then in his 30s, got back into it, and now is just an absolute beast in terms of what he's able to do as a runner. It really is extraordinary that what he's able to do, it looks as if he's been running his entire life, just logging crazy miles, crazy weeks, crazy months. And as you'll hear, he doesn't. This is something that came a little bit later in life, but don't be fooled. He has put together just an amazing running resume. He's on the, on the verge of breaking three hours in a marathon. You know, he runs sometimes over 150 miles in a week. It's just, it is insane. So I hope you like this episode. Right at the end, some of the audio started to fizzle out on us. So we actually did something unique here on the show. Um, I basically had him re-record his answer to the last question and just send it to me. So it came in nice, crystal clear. So it does, as you'll hear, the audio starts to give out a little bit in the last couple minutes, but then it finishes strong. Kevin just went on basically a seven-minute monologue with the last question, which is exactly what I was hoping he would do. And it really is a crazy story. And, uh, And then we finish up. So I have no doubt that you'll like this episode with Kevin Hopp. Hello, Kevin, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. How's it going, Matt? It's going great. Thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to do this. I know we had, we had talked about it briefly before, and then I had a chance to actually see you in person at CIM, which was a nice little surprise. It was a big surprise, yeah. I was glad to be there. Yeah, it was uh, Saturday morning, which was such a fun time to be there because all of the the groups who were around, whether it was coaching services or Rabbit had Rabbit was there, Zensa was there, had all these nine a.m. shakeout runs, and everyone like had the same meetup location and time. 
was like like the, the biggest coincidence of all time. I know they didn't plan it that way, all these groups, but everyone, I think there was like 200 runners all congregated at, two, at, two, at uh, 9 a.m. And everyone was looking around like, wait, is this the, is it the Zensa one? Is this Rabbit? Is this McCurdy? Is this, it was so many different ones, but it was such a, it's, it's almost like a fun time to be there. It was perfect. It was a real exciting time. It was neat to, you know, meet the other rabbits. That was the group that I was there waiting for. But we were all sort of going, are you with Rabbit? Are you with him? So we figured it out and we all sort of went off. The best thing was during the shakeout runs is we also sort of all went around the same, obviously, park there. And we sort of went the opposite direction. So it was funny going around in circles and eventually hitting the other groups of 50 runners going in the opposite direction. So that also worked out, though. Yeah, I actually had to like group hop. I basically did like like a like a bar hop version of the shakeout run because I like was talking to somebody. My group left. I wasn't aware of it. So then, like, I come sprinting out of the expo. <laughs> like, all right, where did they go? So I go to like the next stoplight, and I just see groups of runners running around. I just had to choose one, and like I'm running up, like, oh no, that's not the right one. And I just like I end up getting basically a fartlek workout in despite like my idea of like running like nice and slow for 20 minutes uh, i did i did that shake out run and then i go oh yeah i'm signed up for that 5k also so i had to sort of pull myself back and get ready for the 5k which was at 10 a- 10 a.m that morning yeah so why did you decide to sign up for that um when there's a race and i'm in town i'm not gonna not sign up for it so who cares if there's a marathon the next day that i'm running 5k i can do that so that's sort of the reason why it's sort of just what I like to do. I love the activity of a start line and finish line. It just that adrenaline rush and seeing other people being successful and just enjoying the run. Well, see that mindset that you just, just kind of like laid bare there. Like who, you know, why wouldn't I do it? This is why <laughs> I'm here. Like I can see basically taking the exact counter argument and saying that like no i'm not going to run the 5k because i'm here to run the marathon like you know what i mean so it's such such an interesting perspective yeah i get a lot of that in from friends and they're they're well-meaning hey you want to break three hours in the marathon you would have been probably six minutes ran a fast 5k the day before and that probably cost you at least six minutes on your legs if it did, the enjoyment that I got out of that running that 5K would have been way better than the six minutes faster, at least in that moment to me. So that's just how I feel about it. So how fast did you run that 5K? Um, well, I made, which is, I'm thrilled to death it was just in the 5K. I made that rookie mistake of not tying my shoes. So I oh, Kevin, the start line. Of all people. <laughs> I know. It's just... I'm not used to running in cold weather, so I had long pants on, and to get ready for the start, I had to take off my sweats. And so not used to that, being from sunny Southern California and not traveling all that often for races. So normally, shorts are just fine to run in down here. So um, yeah, took off my shoes, took off my sweatpants, put my shoes back on, and didn't tie my shoes. So I crossed the start line. And then I probably tied my shoes 10 feet after crossing, probably took about 20 seconds worth of my time. But I finished the uh, 5K in a little over, I think, 20 minutes, which was, I was supposedly going slow, but that was pretty fast for me. So you probably would have been sub 20 if you had the the, the, uh, laces tied up? 
more than likely, yes. Jeez Louise, my man. That was great. <laughs> I mean, first of all, congratulations, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing to like, you know, anywhere, anytime you're at that pace for anybody, that certainly is a nice feeling. And then to see you just kind of like, just in the spirit of it, this whole like mindset that you've fostered that I can't wait to dive into, frankly, but I think it's also important to set the stage because you weren't necessarily always like this. So what, you know, what, what is your running background? When did you start and why? Okay, so I did my my very young background in athletics was a swimmer. So I probably I'm going to say at five years old, my parents started me in swimming and I swam all the way through high school. Um, And I also because I didn't want to do water polo. So to get out of doing water polo, I ran cross country because water polo and cross country were at the same time. So I have way for running. But I never considered myself a runner. Um, I enjoyed running and would do it every once in a while through college, but nothing, um, no races, no nothing besides the high school cross country for four years and then moved on to college, got married. So I got back into running at the age of 42 when I carried my four-year-old daughter to bed um, December, I'm going to say like 15th. It was a winter break from school. And my daughter's five years old at this age and fell asleep on the couch. I carried her upstairs to her bed and I was out of breath. I thought I was seriously going to die at that moment of a heart attack after carrying my very light daughter to her bedroom. I put her to bed. I came back to my room and I decided um, I need to do something about this. And the next morning I went out and ran because of my experience. Oh, I can run three miles because that's basically what cross country was. I made it 0.08 of a mile running. I think I tried to sprint or something, even though now it probably wouldn't be considered a sprint, but so like I was 50 yards. Oh, yeah, nothing. To the stop sign down the street, two houses away. And I had to stop and turn around and felt out of breath. And basically the same same feeling I had the night before and, you know, carrying my daughter up. And so the next day came, I got up and ran again, tried to go past the stop sign. And every single day just continued that until I could get to a mile, which probably took me six months to get to a mile just running really not okay. sprinting just running took me a, took me six months from that december of 2012 probably took me six months june ish of 2013 to get a mile all right so you talked about what you did in high school so what was the the, the, the preceding decade you know 32 to 42 what did that look like for you from an activity standpoint couch <laughs> i was i yeah I am very, I would say OCD. I've never had a diagnosis, but um, I have to, I, I was focused on my career, being a teacher. Everything had to be perfect from lesson planning to grading and so forth. So I focused all of my energy into that and family and so forth. So my time was spent between lesson planning, grading, homeworks, so forth, and family time didn't spend any time exercising. Now, 
obviously it's 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 kind of out there that you know being an active person has a lot of health benefits and you obviously were not especially living in southern california it's not like you weren't getting those messages so what were the hurdles stopping you um from pursuing anything along those lines not not compared to what you're doing now what you're doing now is simply amazing by any definition but just even like you know the like the, the, the casual athletic activity like what was stopping you from even doing a little bit during that period of time um not much just me um and i have two kids wife we've just uh, i would we as a family we would do things together like go to disneyland you know go out um and to a park and so forth but there was no real you know physical activity in terms of you know like what i would see today both me and my wife have changed our life probably 180 degrees so did she go did she start her journey around the same time you did um i no not really probably about two years after i started mine okay so you were 42 when you started yours so how, how long ago was that um, that was 2012. That was 2012. Okay, so six years ago. Um, all right, so that is quite a revelation to have that experience where, like, you know, obviously it was a paradigm-shifting moment that changed the course of your life. What was the impetus in the first few months after that, that, that experience, that led you to continue on that path? Obviously, that was a crazy moment i think rich roll details a very very similar experience beginning of his book and detailing his his kind of journey back into athletics but a lot of people have those moments where like oh i just this isn't right or i need a change but sticking with it requires more than just revelation so what kept you on the path i you know that's interesting i just think that I knew I was so out of shape and I knew I enjoyed exercise as a child. And so it wasn't pleasurable to run when I was so far overweight. Um, and that I'm like, I'm going to do this until this becomes pleasurable. So it was sort of like those things I'm going to keep doing. Feels good again. So, um, and that's what I think my motivation was. I knew it could feel good. Um, and I kept running until it did feel good, until I enjoyed it. But it was always by myself, no one around, and no one except for my immediately immediate family here in this house knew what I was doing. That's a very interesting goal because it's a goal that has like its own like accountability mechanism in it and sets you up for free for like future success it's not like hey i want to lose 30 pounds or like hey i got these all these nice pants in my closet that i can't fit into anymore and i don't want to buy new pants all right you know like you know like i want to get back to these pants like that's the goal whereas if you have that kind of goal it like what do you do when you get there right is that an end point or is that you know do you need another springboard to go to the next thing? Like what you created, I don't know if this was a conscious decision, but it seems like you basically, by saying, I want to do this till it's fun. You almost ensured that you'd continue doing it once you got to your first goal. I, yes. And 
there has been where, you know, a few years later, um, 2015, I got sick and was an incident where um, the illness and not being able to run and whatever background I was like, okay, running's difficult. So maybe I need to take some more time off of running. Maybe I'm still sick. And it was sort of this back and forth because the running didn't feel good when I got over being sick. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm still sick. So it was sort of those back and forth. So when I finally just said, okay, this is just like starting over again, I'm running until I feel good running again and got back into it on that motivation um, to go, okay, this is going to feel good again. It wasn't like I had gained weight, but I wasn't running like I was running, you know, in 2014 and where every run I go out, it, you know, not every run feels good, but, you know, every time I went out, there was something enjoyable. When I got sick in 2015 and coming back into running, I was like, okay, what happened here? And that, from that experience caused what's currently, I've just finished a two-year run streak and I'm continuing that run streak because I never want, even if I'm sick, I'll go out and do that mile um, because I never want to be back in that place where, okay, I'm sick. I'm going to take some time off and um, recover completely from being ill. And then the running just for me hasn't, didn't feel well when I did do that. Now, is that part of your, your OCD as well? Your undiagnosed OCD, like kind of keeping that streak going? Um, a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Um, I get a lot, I think that's it. There's a lot of motivation knowing I'm going to go out and run today and when am I going to go out and run and so forth and how many miles am I going to get in today and so forth. So there's a lot of mental stimulus for me on that. Yes. Yeah. I know for me, I have this fear, like once I start rationalizing things that, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the, the, the snowfall of excuses can quickly become an avalanche of rationalizations. You know, if I don't, if I do it like one or two days in a row, do you have that same fear or experience in that, in that behavior? Uh, Not really. Um, I'm not one to make excuses. I just get it done. Um, And so normally I'll plan early because that way, if the first excuse comes up, it's okay. I could still get to it, you know, in, you know, the next hour, or in this case, I didn't get my running in at three o'clock AM. So it'll be 9 p.m. tonight. So, you know. I know. Cause you got, a, you got a podcast standing between yes. you and your run right now. Yes, it is. So <laughs> We should, like, we should do an easier run. You just t- take us with you. You'd be like, all right, see, yeah. this is what I'm talking about. Enjoying my run. This is what I didn't have when I first started. It's not going to be. I mean, it's going to be an enjoyable run tonight, but it's 18 miles at 9 p.m. at night. So She's the weeds. She's the weeds. I got to like, now I got this, this podcast guilt. thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. It's not your fault. That is all right. So, so you, you you let us know what the goal was when you started. You let us know the motivation for it. So, when did running start to become fun? Do you does that day stick in your mind? I think it was um, when, and I can't. I don't know the exact date, but it was during the school year. I'm a teacher, clearly. Um, so, a group of teachers, like two or three said they were going to run the Silver Strand Half Marathon, a local um, half marathon in Coronado, San Diego. It's as flat as a pancake. And no one in the group was a runner. And I don't think anyone knew I was running. And they just, teachers started talking about it. And about 10 of us did it. We all trained together. 
And um, that was my first half marathon. And that was November of 2013, basically 11 months after I started running. And I had no idea that there was any, you know, races for adults to run. I hadn't been part of, you know, the running scene at all, other than this group of teachers that none of us really knew what we were getting ourselves into. We just decided we were going to train for this half marathon in November. And that was around maybe the beginning of the school year. So end of August, September. So we had like one month to train, two months to train. In the heat of a California summer? Um, we, we didn't start in the summer. We started at the beginning of the school year. So, yes, oh, it's so warm, but we didn't start in <laughs> June or July. We basically went with six weeks of training. We'll be ready for a, for a half marathon. Luckily, I had been running by that point a lot from the, you know, the year before. But most of them just started, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. They weren't as bad out of shape as I was, at least when I started. So. Right, but it's not, and that's when it became okay. Fun. Well, that's that's interesting to hear, um, because it's not as if, and you've been running for about a year at that point, but you also said that it took you several months to even get up to one mile. So, did it start once you got up yes. to a mile? Did things start to move a little quicker in terms of the improvement? Yes, once I was able to get to the mile, that's when I felt like, okay, I'm sort of. I'm running now. I won't say I used a, I still have a hard time. It's one of those triggers of labeling myself as a runner. I know that sounds ridiculous. We'll probably get into more of that ridiculousness later. When you run 5,200 miles a year and you don't consider yourself a runner, it's sort of a ridiculous <laughs> point, but it was one of those. Yeah. It's like saying like Mike Tyson being like, no, I'm not. Yeah. It's like Mike Tyson saying he's not a fighter. It's like, ah, I don't yeah. know. I feel like I, yeah. I can make a compelling yeah. case against your argument. No, absolutely. It. It's one of those things. It's more of allowing myself that pleasure than I don't care what other people label me as. It was more of letting me have that pleasure of mentally of calling myself a runner. So, um, so I went out at that point and said, oh, I could get a Garmin and a GPS watch and so forth. And that's when having, I think, that knowing exactly how far you're running, exactly what pace, and that's probably where things changed for me the most, and that was towards the end of 2013, and then I just saw the progress continue. Okay, so having that sort of uh, metrics and feedback, was that just like a, like it's created like a positive feedback loop for you? Is that what was the, the biggest difference, or was it just a matter of like, you know, a lot of little things adding up to a big thing, like all right, by having this data, then you can like, you know, see you're improving. And by seeing that you're improving, you, you want to improve more. Like what, what was the impetus behind that sort of change that was caused by that? I, I think I liked the numbers thing. I'm never concerned about my pace or being fast. Um, I do like going further. I think the mo having bigger miles is definitely something I enjoy, but I don't care if those miles are 20 minute miles, 10 minute miles, you know, a six minute mile. It doesn't make a difference to me and I'll run any of those paces. Um, I, and I enjoy all of them. It all depends who I'm with um, type of thing of what I'll run. And that always surprises people because they're like, I can't run with you. I'm not fast enough. I'm like, 
I don't know why you think you need to be fast to run with me. Because um, you're running a three-hour so... marathon, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll run a six-hour marathon if someone wants to run a six-hour marathon with me. So, um, you know, so that's where people do. Yes, I get that, that I have this capability of running 305 as my fastest. 310 seems to be comfortable now, which is amazing to me that I can say a 310 marathon is comfortable. Um, totally shocks. shocks well, let me, me ask you a, a question that's a little bit off, kind of off the path of what we're talking about. But you, you already mentioned how your wife, two years after you started getting back in, getting into running, that she did a 180 as well, that she started getting into it. So let me ask you this, because I think this is something that comes up with, with couples, um, oftentimes especially if they're both feeling the need to start getting or that there's potential for them to be more physically active is that if one starts down the path you know so all of a sudden you're spending a lot of time running which before you spent on the couch and i'm going to presume you sat on the couch with your wife during those times so what was it like for you to be going down this like kind of like this is this exciting new path and like she isn't necessarily going down it the first two years so what was that like for both of you as like you're trying this new thing and she's still doing the thing that you had been doing together for a decade? She was extremely supportive of it, um, of my running. She always has been. Um, I think at that time, the reason why it took two years is our kids were younger and she, I, I, don't have the same parental instincts i maybe that's the male side in me as being dad and not mom um where she felt she needed to be with the children more as the children got older and i think that's why it took her two years um later um to to find her form of exercise because her form of exercise is not she hates when she runs she hates it um so I think that's more of what took her. It wasn't a matter of fact, oh, I'm going to let you go do your own thing and I'm going to sit here. I think she was more felt like she needed to be home for the kids and that type of point. And when she felt more comfortable being able to give herself more time to do the things she wanted to do, she then did it. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then not that it's, and I'm not, I don't mean to portray that question as like either it's good or bad or anything like that. I just know that it can be hard for a couple if someone's doing something new and the other one isn't. And all of a sudden you're kind of like throwing a monkey wrench into a routine that from a social perspective had been working. If it hadn't been working in other ways, obviously there was a physical cost that was taking place before. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I just, to be honest, I hit the lottery jackpot when it came to marriage on my wife. It's just unbelievable how supportive she has been and the way she has adapted to clearly a huge change in our lifestyle from going and sitting on a couch to, Hey, we're going to Arizona this weekend so I can run a hundred mile race. Um, that's obviously a huge change. No question about it. So, so, all right, so <laughs> running became fun about a year after you started. And then what, what started creeping up for you uh, in terms of goals after that? So I won't say there were any goals until about 2014 um, where it was just purely, I'm just going to go out and run whatever I run. If someone calls me up and says, Hey, I want to go run. That's what I would 
go do. Um, in 2014, I ran my first marathon and did absolutely horrible in terms of feeling and it's get to mile 20 and fall apart. Um, and that sort of goes along with you do a half marathon in November of 2013. So you're ready for a marathon January, 2014, (laughs) you know, six weeks, six weeks later. So I had no clue at what I was doing. I just figured, Hey, I finished that half marathon. I can go into a marathon and, and no one would ever, like I said, I did bad. Everyone thinks it's incredible. My first marathon was a three fifty, I think. So it broke the four hours and people were like, you should be very happy just breaking four hours. Um, and I was, it wasn't like, I, I will never be disappointed at any run I do, but I, I felt that there was more I can do. And so that's when I started um, getting together with larger groups of running Panikin was the first group I joined, which is a coffee shop. It's an absolutely free group that just meets at a coffee shop every Saturday morning. And there's about 50 runners that meet in front of the coffee shop and go run eight miles. And that's how I sort of learned about the running community was through that group. And it's an amazing group. Um, But they always did the same route, the same eight miles. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not going to see much improvement doing the same eight miles. So I moved on from that group, I still visit it as often as I can. And um, I sort of broke off and went to a, another coached group um, and just kept sort of moving up, but always remembering where I came from. I still visit the Panic and Runners very often. I visit my West Coast group, West Coast Roadrunners, and O'Hare Seaside Striders. I've gone through those sort of way, way up. And currently I'm coaching on being coached on, I say online with Michael Wardian being my coach. And um, I love it. I just keep, you know, trying to improve myself, whatever that means. I know I'm not going to be a professional runner. I know I'm never going to, you know, make an Olympic qualifying time in a marathon, but I want to improve myself. And that's what's important to me. You brought up an interesting point here about like the half marathon being the precursor to your marathon. Now, for a lot of people, that's the case. Uh, if for no other reason, then there's just not a lot of races, races between those two distances, right? I mean, it's like, you don't see many people going out there running the 25K, right? Something like that, right? So that's completely understandable. But it's so funny, because I, I did the same thing, is that they're just completely different the half marathon and the marathon and like they share a name. There's no races between them. You, I think people who haven't done it go under this expectation of like, if I did the half marathon and I'm fairly comfortable with what I did, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do a full marathon. If I just kind of continue to train. And again, from a completion standpoint, they're probably right, but they are so darn different when it comes to, you know, being able to succeed and, you know, achieve your goals in both of them. I completely agree now, but I think that's part of being a new runner. I had no idea what I was doing, doing a half marathon, finished my first half marathon. I was sore, hard to walk, limped all the way to the car, limped for a few days. But of course, what did I do? Six weeks later, I'm in at the start line of a marathon, ran the marathon, 
you know, I don't even know how soon it was after that marathon that I was in my next race, but I immediately, you know, forgot all about it. Just sort of like when you have your first child and you want your second child, you forget all about the nightmares of, you know, what you go through with the first child. You forget about it to have your second and then you remember, oh, why did I want a second child? So that sort of was the each event. I just forgot about everything that was difficult, let's say, and just remembered the glory of, you know, completing the event and being at that start line and crossing that finish line. And I think that's what keeps me, keeps me going. Of course, there's a lot of pain sometimes in running, especially running, you know, a three hour marathon. It's no walk in the park for me. It's painful, but you want to know what you get through that. You don't remember the pain. You remember, you know, showing up and crossing that finish line and that accomplishment you feel. Now, Having Mike Wardian as a coach, for me, is a very interesting choice that you made. Because he is, if someone doesn't know Mike, his fame is basically, like, racer extraordinaire. Like, this guy is running, you know, ultras and marathons at a frequency that belies the, you know, the, you know just this comprehension. Like, I was once in a marathon with Mike. He wouldn't know this because I was an hour behind him. But... <laughs> He was in it. It was Saturday. I think it was the Hartford Marathon. This is like a decade ago. And then, like, he may have won it. He was definitely in the top three. And then the next day, I think he was up in Maine, and he won another marathon <laughs> the next day. And, like, this is, like, this is just who he is. And there's so many articles about Mike, and he's a well-known guy. Yeah. So what about Mike led you to want him to be your coach? Okay, so... Well, basically, you just stated it. Um, I was working with a coach, local coach, who is the most wonderful person when it's a half marathon, marathon road race. And I had decided I wanted to do a 100-mile race on the trail ultra. I had done 50-milers and so forth along with – I mean, I basically run anything from a 5K at that point to 50 miles um, and all kinds of trails – 20k trail races 50k trail races um it all sort of fit into the schedule of marathon training um pretty well so the coach i was working with was very comfortable and saying okay yes you can do that as like a tune-up type race for the marathon you know go out and have fun um but when i came back to my coach and said hey i wanted to run a hundred miler i think Never personally asked him. We're still friends. We see each other quite often, um, local runner. So, but when I said I wanted to run 100 miles, when we sat down and said, this is my goal, this is what I want to do, this is the race, how do I do it? He sort of laughed. And I think looking back on it, it was nervous laughter because he knew he wasn't. I was asking him, you know, to do something outside of his comfort zone of coaching and Instead of him stating that, he sort of laughed, and why would you want to do that? And immediately I went, well, that's my goal. If you want to be my coach, you're going to support it. And so we sort of agreed to sort of go our separate ways because he wasn't comfortable in coaching that. And I said, okay, at that point, where am I going to go to coach now? And everything about Michael Wardian was very similar. I ran a... 50 mile race one day I ran a hundred uh, marathon the next day um, that's the type I'll do the same thing nowhere's near the pace but I'm very happy at what pace 
people will laugh. I mean, it was a eight hour, I broke eight hours in the 50 miler and then I ran a 3.30 the following day marathon. So that was prior to being coached by Michael. And so I had that desire, like, okay, I don't want a coach laughing at me when I say I'm going to sign up for a 100 miler and a 50 miler the next day. Who would that be? And I thought Michael Wardian. So I reached out online to him and that's that's how I found or that's how I found him and that's how we're working together. All right. So pre pre Michael, first of all, what you just said, like my jaw is on the floor. So you did an eight hour race and then the next day ran a three thirty marathon. So like what kind of training and not in the short term. You can you can phrase it however you like, but what kind of training prepared you to do something like that? I, and there's where that word training comes in. I just run a lot every single day. Um, I really like 100 mile weeks. I probably feel good and comfortable running 80 miles. That's probably my sweet spot is 80 miles week after week after week. Um, 100 miles, it's, I like, for some reason, 5,200 miles a year sounds great to me. So that needs to be 100 mile weeks. Um, but I probably run really great at 80 miles a week, which is beyond most people's comprehension to even state. I didn't realize that that was a lot, to be honest with you, until really recently that most people run 20 to 30 mile weeks in training. But I, I don't know. My sweet spot is 80, and it's where I feel I run my best at. Now, how did you get to that number to be your sweet spot? Slowly. It's not something I did overnight, um, but it's just evolved that way. I don't know why I feel, and it may be just a mental thing, but as we know in, this, in any sport, I think mental is more important in many cases because most of us are training in any sport that we're prepared, but having that mental edge, I think, and that's where... 80 miles for some reason clicks for me and it seems easy to do each week. Um, and I can put a lot of, you know, speed or tempo in that 80 miles without pressuring. Obviously there's a lot of slow miles in there or as people say, Oh, you do a lot of junk miles, but to me, they're not junk. If mentally I believe they're helping me. Yeah. And I would say that the results speak for themselves as well. I mean, here you are, you're 48 or so and you're, you know, continuing to get faster and faster. And it's, you know, I would say that the plan is certainly working. That's for sure. And when you talk about 80 mile weeks, is that it's you do double runs or is it one run a day? How do you break it out? Most of the time it's two runs um, during the week. I am very fortunate in my schedule that um I do run before work most days. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have a three hour break um, because of where my planning period lands and I could grade or, you know, lesson plan anywhere. And I can do that in the dark at night. So from 11 to about one, I have a, well, it's 10, 15 till one fifty. Actually, I have a break in my day on Tuesday, Thursday. So it's a long break and I can run, you know, a 20 miler in that time, if I wanted to, most of the time, they're 10 mile um, runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the middle of the afternoon. Um, so I'll get like a 
10 mile in the morning and a 10 mile in the afternoon on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and it just helps add in the miles. Um, they're most of the time, those are easy miles in the afternoon, morning are either a tempo or a track workout. Interesting. So when you do your track workouts, what are, you know, what are the things that you end up doing a lot of? Like what's, what are sample workouts that you feel like pop up a lot? The reason I ask is, do you end up doing much more like, you know, longer, longer intervals or do you even worry about going anaerobic? Um, there is probably more of a mental issue on mine, no matter what I run, if they're a fast 200, it seems weird that for whatever reason, no matter how fast I try to sprint at 200, for some reason, it'll come out pretty evenly to, let's say when I run an 800 pace, my 200 sprint pace is about the same as my 800 pace. Um, It's not far off talking seconds between you know when map out my you know average pace um and it's interesting to me so i don't know what causes that but i think it's again that mental edge where i feel like i'm a distance runner so therefore i'm not supposed to be good at 200 so i don't i i give it my all on my 200s on the track when i do them i won't say they're very often um i mostly do like a thousand or 1200 or 800s on the short side, even a 400 doesn't feel good to me. And considering my main goal is really right now, you know, a sub three hour marathon. Yes. Speed is important in there, but a 200 or 400, a fast 800 is okay um, to get my, my speed work in. So um, for a marathon. So and you okay race and you race so much. So do you, so when you have a, you know, I guess here's, here's, here's the first question that I'm trying to lead up into is that, do you have certain races you're more geared up for or, or is it, are they all kind of the same? Like you, you tow the starting line and you make it happen. And then, you know, your preparation is your preparation. Um, Interesting. I will say lately, the prep, whatever I've done, I'm done, I'm ready. Um, and that's been a recent thing. Um, I haven't felt like, oh, when I, so going back, I really wanted to qualify for Boston and probably tried for two years straight. So from about two, 2015 to 2017, tried to qualify for Boston. I did have the breakthrough in Boston for Boston in 2017. And once I had that breakthrough, I sort of stopped, let's say training for a race. So I felt like, okay, I I didn't enjoy anything about training to qualify for Boston. I just, I wanted to be a Boston qualifier. I wanted to go to Boston. It happened. And when I qualified, I sort of said, okay, I'm done with these training cycles. I know that's what a runner does to get ready for an event. And I've had much more success. Just here's my weekly schedule. It changes, it evolves. And um, I'm just going out and running and whatever race I sign up for, I'm going to go run as the best of my ability without worrying about a taper, without worrying about a cycle. And that has been more successful for me because Obviously, when I went and ran Boston this first time in April of 2018 in 30, 
degree weather with weather with um, headwinds and rain, I was successful. So you, and I so you mean 2018? 2018, yeah. Okay. This past okay. year. Yeah. yeah. So with those crazy weather conditions, I requalified for Boston. So, and I didn't train for it. And I had no, dis- I had no thought that I'd requalify for Boston at Boston. I'm so what about, that. what about that training cycle? Did you find distasteful? Um, I think I felt like it was becoming a job that it wasn't the fun. I sort of, um, could not run my fast, um, paced workouts with friends, um, or the friends that I wanted to run with. I had to pick and choose, okay, these people are my speed and we'll run together. And I think when that happens, it's not just the fun of running. It becomes, okay, can I outdo and it may be just more of a mental thing in my head where we're trying to, yes, help each other improve. But I think at the same time, we're sort of, okay, can I be one step ahead, you know, on this tempo run um, with this group and so forth, which is great, but it also keeps away from that connection thing because you more see them as competition or helping me improve rather than, hey, this is a great running community. And I don't know, it could be just me, but that's what I found that I feel better just being relaxed and going out and having fun with other runners rather than, you know, I need to hit this pace and I need to hit, you know, this hill repeat and so forth. Um, And that's what bothered me about it. That makes a lot of sense. And I can see why you would, you know, lean more towards the more laid back approach. But at the same time, it's not as if you just shelved all running goals, right? We just talked about, you know, several times how you still had, you know, a a goal of a sub three hour marathon at CIM. So how do you and Mike approach your, you know, your, your, your week to week running in a way that allows you not only be social and flexible, but also continuing to improve? I think that's where it comes in for, for me is, my I probably 80 to 85 percent you know when you're talking in 100 miles or an 80 mile week most of those runs are social runs and you know I probably have 20 miles a week where it's purely about me and I am I take those are solo runs and I go do the work and so I think that's another reason why I like my 80 miles because, okay, I could take 60 and have the time of my life and do whatever I want with those 60 miles in a sense. I mean, they are trained, they are scheduled work and I, there are points to them, but there's always flexibility um, with it. And, but those 20 miles of runs during the week that are for me, I focus on and I do them. And I think that's where I feel more of the flexibility where it's not every single one in my training cycle has to be about me, which that's where it was before I need to qualify for Boston. So everything needs to be about what I need to get there. Um, And that obviously I qualified for Boston. So it helped, but um, I think in the long run, maybe it hurt because I feel like now I go out and run and it doesn't matter if I did a hundred miles the week before I qualify for Boston at a marathon. So it's, you know, our do a ball, do a Boston qualifying time. It's, it amazes me. I didn't expect that to ever happen with how hard I had to work to qualify the first time. 
Yeah, and it seems like you put a lot of stock in how you feel about the running schedule. That is, you know, your impressions of the schedule is something that's important to you. It's not just, it's not as if the schedule, you know, lives in a vacuum, that your impressions of it actually hold weight that could influence how you're running. I 100% agree. My... Every single, whether I'm going to be successful or not, has nothing to do with, let's say, my schedule or running. I'm going to put the work in no matter what. That's just, it all comes down to how I believe I will do. If I believe in myself, then I will do well. Um, I will tell you when I ran my 305 marathon, I didn't believe I'd run at three hours. Two days before the marathon, I admitted a friend asked, hey, what are you going to run? I said a 305. I hit a 305. Mm. I said it. I, and that's always the way I've been. Um, when I qualified for Boston at that time, a 325 was my qualifying time. I had told friends I could run a 310, but I've been practicing a 315. So I better not try to run a 310. And I ran exactly a 315 because I told myself that's what I've been practicing for and that's what I've been training for. And I ran a 315, like, oh, one. Um, it's if I say what I'm going to run and I believe that's the it's 99% of the time what I run. So I truly believe for me, it's more of a mental. Obviously, I put the work in. I'm not trying to downplay the work, but it's it's a I have to believe in the work. Um, because I didn't, when I ran that 305, I probably could have ran sub three hours, but I didn't believe that I could run sub three hours. So, um, which is sort of disappointing on the background, but that made CIM that much better. Even though I ran a 312 at CIM, I believed in myself. I believed, um, in the work I had done and I had ran a very, um, what I felt smart race all the way through now didn't come out to be a sub three it didn't even come out to be a pr but to me i had the race of my life at cim because i had put the work in and i believed in myself all right one last question before we get going um you're talking a lot about belief right now and i think it, i i agree that it's an important piece and one thing where um or one aspect of belief comes in is how it is affected as we age and here you are, you're getting faster and faster and faster at an age where for a lot of people, they have a mental block where they say, hey, you know, I'm at this age group. I'm not going to continue to get faster. Obviously, it's different because it's not as if you were hitting PRs in your 30s. So it's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison. But here you are, you're running really far. You're running very fast and you're doing at an age where a lot of people might think to themselves that they can't do it. So when you talk to people, I'm sure you have, when you talk to people who maybe are experiencing that kind of block, what are the points that you try to get across to them? Okay. Um, starting out with the final question about how I help motivate others that may not be going after their PRs or feel like they're slowing down as they get older. Well, one, clarifying, I really don't like giving advice because I don't feel 
that anyone should follow what I do. Being able to run on average 100 miles weeks, I don't think anyone should be running 100 mile weeks, including myself, but for some reason in my mind, I need to run 100 miles. It helps burn off the crazy um, and it makes me happy. So with that stated, I guess one of the things on the big advice I start out with, if I give advice, is make sure that you do what you enjoy. If it's not fun, it's not worth doing. Um, And that includes going after a PR. Um, There's many times in a sort of training cycle, if I have them, because I seem to run every weekend, that I'll just be like, you want to know what? This isn't that fun right now. It's time to take a break from this and try some other goal. Um, That's sort of what I've done recently. I was on a training cycle. I have the SD50 coming up, a 50 miler, and I was working towards it, track workout, speed workout, tempos, putting everything together to do the best possible. And I was happy. It's not that I wasn't, but all of a sudden I became very motivated to hit 5,000 miles. Um, for 2018 and I was 325 miles away with about 11 days to go. Um, So my goal became run 32 miles a day for 10 days and get to that 325 um, as soon as possible. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, Instead of focusing on tempos and so forth, I just took 32 miles um, easy every day. I'll still have two weeks in January to get ready for the SD50. And I actually feel like these 32 miles a day prepares me well for the 50 miler. Um, So if it's not fun, it's just not worth doing. Um, And that's what I try to remind my friends to do. So on typical workouts is what they try to ask me about. Um, Most of the questions when people are sort of seeking advice, if they're seeking it, are more about what I do. And on the most part, I try to keep my easy runs easy. Um, I try to focus on my speed workout on the track and maybe throw a tempo run on Thursday or Friday. But most of my long runs and most of my runs are extremely easy paced. And I like to do those in groups. When I run fast, I'll run by myself on the track or meet a group of friends on the track. And we all sort of do our own thing around the oval. But I think the biggest thing is is when you run your long, slow distance, make sure it's long and slow. You're in a race with no one. And the same thing goes with a group run. It's really easy to go to a fun group run and then start to compare yourself to, hey, I can be that fast and try to chase after the fast person. And I think that's a big mistake. I've done it. Of course, probably every single one of us has done it. I think it's one of those things also that I think every runner does and no one talks about it. When you approach a runner going like the opposite direction, you'll pick up your pace. You try to make sure your gait looks good. You try to put your best foot forward, I guess. And then the minute you pass the other runner, it's back to the slump. Don't worry about your form. Just keep moving forward. Um, You know, we should be focusing on every single step that we take to, you know, head high and looking good. But for some reason, the minute we see another runner approaching, we make sure we're running well and look good while we're running or as best possible we can. So I think that's one of the biggest advice that I can give is make sure you take your easy runs easy and you're in no competition with 
anyone out there. And I think that's the um, best part about running is that you really are only in competition with yourself. Um, I'm not going to win a marathon. I'm not going to win an ultra. Um, I'll not be that person on the top of the podium um, compared to others, but I'll be on the top of podium compared to myself because I'm more concerned about winning against myself of what I've done in the past or what I plan to do and so forth. So that I think is important to keep in mind and just enjoy the process and never give up on, you know, there will be setbacks and picking yourself back up and allowing those setbacks to take place. The setbacks are part of the process. Um, I've been fairly fortunate or probably extremely fortunate in my career since 2012 of running. I have not been injured and that is amazing when you hear about people's injuries. Um, I think that's because I take my easy runs easy and I change things up. I'm either on the road or on a trail or on the track um, and I don't run my runs that are supposed to be, you know, for fun. And I don't go, oh, let I feel fast today, so let's run fast. That's not what I do. So I typically just enjoy um, the process of running, enjoy my process of what I do, and I try to hopefully encourage others to find their process and enjoy um, what they do. So that's the biggest way I can help inspire someone that feels like their PRs are in their past. That's fine. They may be. I don't know if my PR is in the past because I didn't run in the past. Um, I only have five years of experience on this running thing, and I was old to begin with. So I can't worry about what I may have missed out on. I just have to enjoy what I can do now, and that's what I try to encourage other people to do is just enjoy what they can do currently. So hopefully I do that, and hopefully I inspire others to go out and do their best and to have fun. And that's what I try to do. So hopefully that's what I get to do um, each day. So I am just enjoying my process. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show. This was so great hearing and following Kevin. It's just remarkable. This guy has done amazing things in the past couple of years, and I can't wait to see what he does in 2019. And if you're like me, you're inspired to like just go kick butt in 2019 just listening to this guy. That's for sure. Thank you, Megaton Coffee and Mercury Mile for sponsoring this episode and so many episodes here on the Rambling Runner Podcast. If you like what you hear on this show, check out these sponsors. They've been with us for a while and they really help support the show. And I know the people who do check them out really like what they get out of it. So again, thank you, Megaton. Thank you, Mercury Wild. Thank you, Kevin Hop. And thank you, the listeners, for listening, for reviewing, for sharing the show. I could not appreciate it anymore. This has been an amazing year, and it's all because of you, and I could not be more grateful. Thank you so much, and happy running.